0: It was great to be here today and uh, really excited to see, you know, this being your last service. When I was talking to Ance earlier, he said, am I going to be that bad that you're not going to come back? You know, but um, it's your last service here and going back. And I had a chance to see your new building. It's just exciting. I just think it's exciting. And, you know, we love to say the best is yet to come. And, and what you guys, your journey and everything else, it's just going to be great to be back again um, at that 10 a.m. service as well. And I uh, just want to encourage you, you know, Hamilton is an awesome place and that I've had got some good friends that live here and um, for myself and Maria, it's just a privilege to be with you today. And um, I also bring greetings from our national leader, Boyd, as well. Uh, he says hi. And um, so it's really exciting just to be here and I've got my family here. And um, yeah, so I just wanted you to think for a second, you know, I love, I love the fact that when we give our life to Jesus, all of a sudden we start this privileged journey. You know, because he's got the best life for us. You know, it's about his plans, his purpose for our lives. And, and the, the key to living is actually learning how to align our life to Jesus every single day. And in the good times, that's easy. But in the harder times, it's not so easy. You know, and sometimes it's a mean feat to do. And I was thinking about, so from the very first moment you say yes to Jesus, you know, you start a lifetime journey. Of aligning your life to him and with the goal to fulfill God's purposes in your life. You know, and what I love about growth track and and things like that, and what I love about the Yelden Church is we want to help you find the plans and purposes for God so you can live your best life. And um, you know, Paul puts it this way in Colossians. He says, he says it in Colossians 2:7. He says, Let your roots go down into him and let your lives be built upon him. In other words, let our lives be built in Jesus. And as I said earlier, it's easy to do that in the good times. But when the tough moments happen, sometimes it can be a struggle. You know, you've got this challenge that goes on. In the hard times, you know, maybe even in those moments where you feel things are impossible, where you feel things are difficult, you've got two choices, really, when it comes to your faith. You can run to God or you can run from God. And it comes back to how much you trust God or whether you just think you can solve it yourself. Yeah. And when I think about this, and as I sort of process this, I went back to my four-year-old self. You know, now, I know, it's only a few years ago, but, but I decided to do something really awesome for my mum. She, she had been, she'd been unwell for a little while, so I thought I'd bake her a cake. You know, what four-year-old kid cannot bake a cake? And, and so, so I got the flour, and in those days, I was a lot shorter, and so the bench was really high. And so I remember reaching up to the bench for the flower bag I put up there and I reached it and a moment later it started to fall. And I remember, you know, have you ever had those moments where something's happening in front of you and it's almost it goes to slow-mo and you watch and you're just going, no, and, and it's falling and there's nothing you can do. And this flower fell and went scattering across the floor. And, and you see, um, at the time... Um, well, I still am actually, I'm an only child because my parents got it right first time. (laughs) And that, you know, others say they had me and then had enough. And that's sort of where it landed. And, and, And so, you know, if I ever got into trouble, there was no one else to blame. You couldn't go, oh, that was my brother. That was my sister. I tried the cat a few times, but it just didn't work. And so I now had this mess on the floor. So I started out doing something good. And all of a sudden I go, now, the logical thing is to go, hey, mom, give me a hand. But no, I decided I'm going to clean this up. I'm going to sort this out myself. So the next thing I did is I reached up into the sink, found a dishcloth, found some water, and poured it on the flour on the lino floor and instantly invented glue as I rubbed it together. And so with my latest invention of glue, I'm going, oh, my goodness, now what am I going to do? And I thought, well, what you do is you get your paper, And you wipe it up. So I went and found the local newsprint, picked that up, the papers, when they used to send them to you. And I started to go rubbing that into the lino in the floor as a four-year-old. I went from discovering glue to discovering paper mache. (laughs) And it was worse than that. The ink in the paper leached into the lino and stained it. I should have got mum when the flower fell. And that when she walked into the room, all I'm allowed to say today is it was different rules back then. We had the anti-smacking bill that should have been around in those days. But sadly, I never dropped flour on the floor ever again. And probably in that house, if you lifted it up and found the old liner, it would be still stained. But you see, that's a lot like all of us. We try to, sometimes instead of going to God, like going, help, I've stuffed up, or help, this is going wrong. We start to try and solve it ourselves. And how many times have we ended up literally sticking ourselves to the floor and covering ourselves in paper mache but just letting things get worse? So, so you know, when it, the hard times come, or you have those in difficult or impossible moments, what are we supposed to do? How do we let our roots, as Paul writes, go deep yeah. in Him? And often it's a reflection, actually, how we react is actually how deep our roots do go down yes, okay. in Jesus. You know, and this will determine whether you run to God in the difficult moments or run from God and sort it out yourself. And you see, also, it just teaches the depth of how much you connect with Him and how much your support is around you and how much you are in a community. And I thought today, we're going to look a little bit more about this and how to deal with the impossible moments of life by literally going to John 5, Um, And in there, we discover there's a story or a bit of history where we find about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is a bit of background for it, okay? Jesus just crossed to the far side of Galilee, you know, and He he wanted some alone time with His disciples. The disciples had gone out in two-by-twos. They were preaching, ministering. They were tired, and they'd done a lot of ministry. And on top of that, Jesus just found out His cousin, John, who did a lot of baptizing, so he got known as John the Baptist, um, he he literally ended up getting imprisoned and beheaded. So he just lost his life. And so Jesus is a bit distraught by that. He could feel it. Um, the disciples are tired and they just wanted some downtime. So they crossed the Lake of Galilee and went to the far side and they started to have some downtime. And then all of a sudden the in the distance, they must have heard Jesus was there. This huge crowd, they could watch it from the hillside where they were, started coming around the edges. They could see the boats coming out across the river, I mean, across the lake. And then we pick up the story as this crowd is starting to get around them in John 6, 5. And it says this, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he says to Philip, now this is interesting, eh? He turns out of all the disciples, he turns around and goes, Hey, Philip. And, and, and says this, and he says this, where shall I buy bread that though for these to eat? Now you can imagine what you need to understand is simply this. Philip is the local boy. You know, he's, he's like the Hamiltonian. He's the guy that knows the place. You know, like if I went to find a bakery in this place, I'm a bit stuck. But if I said to you, where's a good bakery? You could all tell me because you're local. And so he would have been driving Jesus up the wall um, in the last week or so while they've been around Galilee. Be like me, if you go to Palmerston North, which is my hometown, and I just want to say in advance, um, my family is actually one of the founding families of Palmerston North. So it's kind of my fault it's there. But you know, but, but in all honesty, you know, I could tell you everything about Palmerston North. And you know, like when I was dating Maria, she was from Palmerston North, but we met in Auckland. We actually lived just down the road from each other and went to the same high school. And then sort of, she traveled the world and went to Holland, on and I, and then we just bumped into each other in Auckland. It was just awesome. How God does this, but when we went to Palmerston, I took it to my primary school. This is the fort we used to climb, and and we would point out all these different areas. And that's what people do when it's their hometown, isn't it? You get a visitor, you go go to the Hamilton Gardens, yeah, go on. to the zoo, yeah. you know, go to this place, go to the base or whatever. And you know, you will all have your favourite places. Go to the Waikato Stadium, you know, home of the Chiefs did really well this year. I think Canterbury stopped you or the Crusaders, um, but that's all right. Um, I'm a hurricane supporter, so I'm used to losing. Uh, anyway, but, but here they were. So so Jesus turns to the local boy and says, where are we going to find enough food to feed these guys? Like, seriously, where are we going? There's the bakery. There's this, And you could see him. I could imagine his brain ticking over going, it looks a lot of people coming over here. What are we going to do? And it, find out if you read on it was actually just Jesus testing him by giving him this impossible situation. In fact, you read verse six, but he said this to test him for he himself knew what he was gonna do. Now, if you don't know this story, I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert right now. Basically, Jesus does a miracle and feeds 5,000 plus people. In fact, it was more 20,000 because it says there was about 5,000 men there. And you see, but and also outside the death and resurrection um, when you look at the Gospels, this is the only story that appears in the four Gospels. Why? Because so many people witnessed it. You know, when you add the men, the women, the children, and, you know, it's at least 20,000 going up to 30,000. And here is Jesus just testing Philip. And you need to realize that God never tempts you, but he will test you from time to time. And a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And I want to say that again. I'll put it in the context. Back in 1995, again, I was pretty young. And there was a Hillsong song that came out called Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And I remember singing it and going, yes, Lord, at the beginning of the year, that's me. I love you, Lord. You know, it's just exciting. And, I en- and at the time, I was engaged to be married. I had a great job. And by Easter, I'd broken up with my fiance at the time, I was devastated, but praise God, I met the best woman in the world, maria you know that's it because God has a plan for our lives, you know, and Maria's definitely that and and so so I broke up my that fiance, you know the one that lost and Maria won, and that you know um, and and so and then the next thing was I worked in the food industry, and I actually had the worst year, I broke a spiral freezer. I was overseeing the um, basically the quality assurance and that over at Irvine's in Auckland as their quality assurance manager. And through different processes indirectly, I kind of broke the spiral freezer and the engineering guy wasn't particularly happy with me. And it caused Irvine's to go short on frozen pastry for about two months as they fixed it. And they treated it as a learning experience for me because I was still young at the time. And then my mentor of 10 years who had a big impact in my life died of cancer. And this was all before Easter. And, so, um, and it happened all within four months. And in that time, I chose to run to God. And so by the middle of 1995, I knew the song. And it goes like this, Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock. Now I know I love you. I need you. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my savior, my closest friend, and I will worship you till the very end. You see, at the beginning of that year, that was untested. But by the middle of that year, I knew, I knew those words I was singing were real. You see, a faith that is untested needs to be tested at times. And so Jesus gives Philip this unsolvable problem. You know, how are we going to find food for all these people? And see, in Matthew 14, 21, it says this, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men beside the women and children. So in other words, there was a massive crowd that had turned up. So if that was Philip's unsolvable problem, what's yours? What are you facing? Maybe it's your finances as the mortgage rates and interest rates go up and you know, you're know you about to come off your current status and all of a sudden you're looking at three, 4% more. Maybe it's family. Maybe there's a family member that, that no matter what you try to do, getting a restoration and you know, re-bringing them back together in family and, and restoring relationship. Maybe it's health. Maybe you've just got that health report and you just look at it and just go, And just hold your breath for a moment going, what do I do? Jesus knew what he was doing. And sometimes he throws out problems to just test his disciples. And you know what I want to tell you? Whatever you face today is not a surprise to Jesus. It's It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise to God. Because God is preparing to do something good. So what is my impossible problem? Well, mine's aging parents. You see... My parents still live in Palmerston North. I am the only child. They did get it right first time, but that means there's no one else to help look after them. And and we've tried to suggest they come to Nelson, but they're very happy where they are, and they don't want to go into a rest home or retirement village. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my goodness. And so, so what we do is we order their groceries, get online dinners, you know, um, we visit them two to three times a year and we do the most we can, but they're not living their best life. And as much as I would love to, I've just got to let them be them. And, but it's frustrating. And sometimes that frustration actually projects into our marriage because it is frustrating at times. And that is my impossible situation. That I'm going, God, what? Can you just shift them, do something? You know, so what's yours? So what is yours? So here's the thing. How do we build our lives on Jesus and let our roots go down deep yeah. when we've got these unsolvable problems going on in our world? And if you haven't got one now, live long enough and you will. Yeah. You know. So here's a couple of thoughts for you. The first one, keep your heart of compassion. Yeah. Keep a heart of compassion for what is going on around you. You see, an unsolvable problem is often followed by a heart of compassion. You see... You need to understand that Jesus and his disciples had been working a very long time. They were worn out. They were tired. They'd literally gone over to the other side of the Galilee Sea to actually have a break, to chill out, to relax. And, and at the same time, some friends of John the Baptist approach and told Jesus that his cousin has actually just been executed. And after that, they decide to go up a mountain and rest. Probably on Philip's advice saying, this is probably the place to go because he's the local. And here they are trying to rest, and suddenly 20 plus thousand people start following and turning up. It's really hard to rest when that happens, isn't it? There's a crowd that suddenly shows up. And so the disciples' first reaction was literally, if you read about it, it says, Let's just send them away. This is our time with God. This is our time with Jesus. We're tired. We've been doing this. Let's just send them away. And they start to plan to do that. And Jesus says, No, no. You see, the best things that God wants to do in your life will usually come in an interruption. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about it often um, with my roles and that I do. I travel a bit and I can be sitting and have a long weekend and, and everything, I'll be sitting on a plane, or I've had a long week, and I'm just tired, I'm exhausted, I'm looking forward to going home, catching up with my latest Netflix program, hanging out with the kids, and Maria, and my goal is, is whenever I go away, I try to get back as quick as I can. And, And so, I'm sitting in the plane one day, I'm just exhausted, and what I can do is, I've got headphones, I've got an iPad, I've got Netflix, and I can just sit here on the plane and just go, you know, like that, it's great. And I remember one time this lady comes and sits next to me and, and she, her phone rings as we're sitting in the plane. I'm going, aren't you supposed to turn that off? Isn't something bad supposed to happen if your phone's still on on the plane? Anyway, that's what I'm thinking. I don't say that because I'm a pastor, but, but I'm thinking it. And, and, and suddenly she bursts into tears. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, my thoughts can be heard. Um, but anyway, you know, so she burst into tears, and I actually discover that she just found out one of her nieces died in a car crash between Grey, coming between Greymouth and Westport, and she just didn't know what to do, and so she should burst into tears, and and so I, I signaled the flight attendant, and they bring a pile of tissues. She's she's distraught as anything. And I just sort of sitting there and going, "Hey, what's going on?" And she explained what happened. And I said, "Well." You know, if you want to talk, I'm, I'm one of the local pastors in Nelson. Feel free if you are And so we just talked and she just poured out. And I got her to tell me all the good things about he, she, all her good memories of the nephew. But you see, I could have just plugged in and ignored it. So you just never know the God moments come yeah. at the most inconvenient times. And so Mark, it says this. This is what Jesus says. And so Jesus, when he comes out in Mark 6.34, he says he comes out. And when he comes out, remember the disciples didn't want them there. He saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep that hadn't had a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. In fact, before he gave them physical food, he actually gave them the bread of life. You know, God cares about hungry stomachs, but he also cares about the hunger we have inside ourselves as well. And often he works from the inside out. And so we need to find compassion in our improbable moments. If you're angry because something's happened, you've got angry at God saying, oh, this, find compassion for him. If it's a person, find compassion. For me, in my impossible moments, one day dad rings up on the phone and he goes, Richard, I want to watch a DVD. And I go, great, thanks for ringing me and telling me that. And he says, well, I've forgotten how to turn on the DVD player. He's 80 now. 85. So he's forgotten how to do this. And I'm thinking, okay, okay. I left you guys with the instructions with mum. And and he goes, Yes, but mum's lost those instructions. Okay, right. This is going to be easy. Look at your remote. Find the eject button on the remote. What's that look like? And it's starting to go downhill. In fact, this continued for a while. And, that, and Maria, literally, I remember I was in the bedroom. Maria walked into the room like this, heard my attitude, talking to dad, worked out that something's been going on and I've been talking for about 25 minutes at this time and we're still on only where the, the eject button is on the remote. She knows I normally don't talk that long to my parents and so she walked in, heard my voice and literally turned around and walked back out. And I almost wanted to go, <laughs> like I might do from time to time. So anyway, I got down to the point that they couldn't find it. So why don't you look on the DVD player? Oh, but if I get down on my hands and knees, I won't be able to get back up. So after an hour, oh, sorry. Dad just decided he wasn't going to watch a DVD. We couldn't get past the eject button, and I had the most frustrating phone call in my life. And then Maria says to me afterwards, Do you think you should have had more compassion? And what I learned is compassion goes beyond the feelings of sympathy and empathy. It actually goes to action. And so when we visited them next time, I got the DVD player, put it up on a table. I labeled the eject button with big tape measures, eject here, this here. And I made that easier so I didn't have to bend down for anything. I got... Um, took photos of the remotes, So I've got photos in my phone of the remotes, put them as my favorites just in case. And then dad can watch his DVDs down and showed them how to do it. You see, you've got to keep a heart of compassion yeah. uh-huh. in what you're facing. And if it's people related, you've got to have compassion for those people. If it's if situations, keep your compassion from God because without it, eventually you'll become bitter. And it's not good to go from a place of bitterness. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Don't write off the unlikely solutions. Think about it. Philip, he couldn't get past this problem. How are we going to feed all these people? How much will it cost? You know, and you think about it. He's sitting there, couldn't get past that. But yet he was in the Canaan and saw Jesus at the wedding feast turn water to wine. But in this moment, he knows he serves a miraculous God, This moment, he couldn't see past the problem in front of his nose, and that, but yet, in comes Andrew. Andrew sort of waltzes up. And what I love about Andrew is he's always bringing people to Jesus. And he turns up, he brought his brother to Jesus, and that he, in this case, he brings a little boy. And later on, at the end of John, he brings these two random Greek guys to Jesus. He's always bringing people to Jesus when he turns up in the Bible. And in this situation, he brings this kid that has a lunchbox. And, and you could tell this family was poor because there were barley loaves. And in those days, the barley loaves were the cheapest bread you could have. But yet, this fam, this kid goes, man, you have this. you know, and, and so he offers it to Andrew and that's how he knew they had food. And what I love is God's recipe of what he wants to use for your miraculous situation is often already in your life is often already there. We get so hung up on what we don't have, we're not thankful for what we have. and that, So don't write off the unlikely solution. Sow the seed and let God grow it. Yep. Maybe it's financial, it's crazy. Maybe there's a gap, but why don't you do what you can do? and get that budget in place. Why don't you fill out one of your one cards and put a prayer request in there and get people praying for you. Maybe it's in your um, connect group. Get involved in a connect group and start sharing together. If it's a health issue, you need to diet, do, you know, diet. And even if there is a gap, do what you can do so it allows God to do what He can do. Because God often won't do what you can do. He will do what He can do. So you've got to do the natural to allow the supernatural to happen. And so allow that. So it's a partnership in faith. So, you know, God is saying, give me, um, give me what's in your hand and I will unlock what's in your heart." You see, in Mark six thirty-eight, it says, and he said to them, how many loaves does he have? Go and see. And so they found out that they had five loaves and two fishes. So what do you do when you're facing an impossible situation and you want your roots to still remain deep in God instead of running from him? First of all, you know, keep a heart of compassion. Two, don't write off the unlikely solution. And thirdly, choose thankfulness. Choose to be thankful. You see, Jesus prayed over the loaves and fishes before they were multiplied. And guess what? He gave thanks. So here's someone I believe here today needs to hear this. Jesus is holding not enough, but he still gave thanks for it. You know, he still thanked God for it, even it was not enough. See, you can be in an impossible situation. And can you actually be there and say, this is only a test. And in the middle of it, I'm going to thank God anyway. Yeah. Can you choose thankfulness with what's in your hands right now? In First Thessalonians 5.18, it says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, you need to understand things begin to change when you have a grateful heart standing in the middle of an impossible situation. But I want you to notice, he didn't just bless the food, he broke the food. He got us out of the way. You see, God always blesses. What God allows to be blessed, he allows to be broken. And Matthew 5, it says, blessed are those poor in spirit. For well, theirs is the kingdom of God. In fact, you look at the Beatitudes, you'll see what God does with the broken in that. So, so what do we need to do? The last thing is just to allow your roots to go down deep in Him. Is choose to eat well. Choose to eat well. You see, listen to this. I knew you'd love this. Hey? Um, they, you, when you look at the feeding of the 5,000 plus, they walked away, every single one of them with full stomachs. You know, in John 6, 11, it says this, "Um, Then Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, as much as they could eat. Think about it. The Word of God can feed you as much or as little as you want. It's actually your choice. It's your choice. I love the nineteenth-century theologian Charles Spurgeon. He put it this way: "This is, and this is what he says. This is one of the rules of Christ's feasting: as much as they wanted, according to your appetite, according to your will, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. You see, you choose. So, in this season of an impossible um, problem or an unsolvable problem, you can eat as much as you want." In other words, it's your choice on how deep you allow your roots to go down in Him. How much will you choose Jesus, the God moments? How much will you choose to be there on Sunday? Because I believe that as we gather together, you know, it says, you know, it commands a blessing you know, and when we're in unity gathered together. And I believe that's the anointing of God, shifting, bringing breakthrough and things like that. It's through prayer. You've got people praying into your situation. It's your small group or your connect group standing beside you and believing together, getting involved in giving and serving. You choose. You choose how much you're going to eat. And do you know what I love about our God? In that feeding of the 5,000, He didn't just give them enough it says there were 12 baskets left over. See, we serve a God of more than enough. We have served a God that will give more than enough. So in your impossible season of life, Paul writes this in Colossians 2, 7. He says, let your roots go down deep in Him. Let your lives be built on Him. But then there's a promise. I love this. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Who wants their faith to grow strong and overflow with thankfulness, even in the difficult moments? Why don't we quickly pray?